Can one person really make a difference in this world? Listen to this and then you decide. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. Daniel made a difference because he made up his mind. He knew what he believed and was determined to live it out. A man of courage and conviction, he refused to compromise with the pagan culture in which he lived. What about you? Will you dare to be a Daniel? Make up your mind to serve God no matter the cost, and no matter how much pressure you feel to accommodate the culture. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. During the time of Daniel the prophet, ancient Babylon was a depraved and godless culture. Not all that much different from our own. Hello, welcome to this Monday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, thanks for stopping by. Sad words, but true words. America is becoming more godless by the day, more opposed to Jesus and his followers than ever before. How do we stand strong in the face of such great opposition? Answers come your way next as Ron continues his teaching series, Standing Strong. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the program on your schedule or make a safe and secure donation to the ministry. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From Daniel chapter one, here's Ron with part two of his message, Standing Strong in a Godless Culture. First, when they were besieging the city, they robbed the temple. Look at it in verse two says, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar. Remember Shinar, Tower of Babel, okay? Ba Babel, Babylon is rising up again. They're in the, the land of Shinar. He brought them to the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Nebuchadnezzar did. Okay, so when they went to Jerusalem, one of, one of the things they did, and this, this, was, this was just a, a poke in the eye and a kick in the chest of the Hebrews, they went into the temple and ransacked it. And they took all the temple vessels, the gold vessels used in worship and all that, grabbed them up, took them back to Babylon and put them in their pagan temples as vessels that were used uh, to show loyalty to their God. Let me put it in a context we can all understand. It would be like the Redskins going to the Cowboys Stadium and grabbing up the, come on now, we just finished Super Bowl saying, grabbing up those Lombardi trophies that the Cowboys have won, taking them back to RFK Stadium and putting them in their stadium. We got any Cowboys fans here? I know it's been years since the Cowboys won, but there are some Lombardi trophies back there. How dare the Redskins do that? How dare the Babylonians do it to the Jews? But that was just one way of poking them in the eye, kicking them in the chest. They robbed the temple. Next, they took them to a different environment. This was part of their indoctrination system. We're going to take you out of Jerusalem and put you into 
into Babylon, into our culture. Thirdly, they probably emasculated these boys. Read on in verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, not all of them, but some of them, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competence to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Several things happening here. He's changing their environment, an old secular, you know, play card. You know, if you, our, our environment is what, what influences us. All right? Not the choices that you make, but environment. If I can change your environment, then I can change, you know, you as a person and all that. But he changes their environment. The reason we suggest that they probably emasculated these boys too is because Ashpenaz, who is the chief of the eunuchs who served the king, were now, he was now given authority over these young boys. And you don't uh, come under the authority of the chief of the eunuchs without becoming a eunuch yourself. And anybody who serves the king, and these boys were being prepped and educated and culturized to one day serve King Nebuchadnezzar, you don't serve the king unless you have one passion. And so they stripped these boys of their ability to have any other passion. So their singular passion would be like Ashpenaz and the eunuchs. Uh, next, they gave them a secular education, right? Uh, they didn't have their Hebrew education, their Hebrew upbringing. Now they're being dropped into the University of Babylon to learn all the literature and the understanding of the Chaldeans. After that, their diet changed. Look in verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. A lot of cultures have, have unique diets, and the Hebrew culture had a unique diet that was tied to their worship practices, their kosher meals, and they were to eat this and not eat that. It was all part of the law of Moses, and uh, they knew that that was an important part of their culture. And if we're going to indoctrinate these boys, we'll even change their food. We'll, we'll, we'll feed them from the king's table. They'll enjoy that just fine. And then finally, they stole their identity. They changed their names. Verse 6, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Uh, do you remember the uh, uh, veggie tales, Rack, Shack, and Benny? We remember them as, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Th those are their Babylonian names. Names were important back in this time and in this culture. And when you named your child, you were, you were also identifying for them a loyalty, okay? Daniel's names and all these names up here, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, uh, the, the meanings of this name relate to the God of Israel, the one true God, but the names that they were given in Babylon uh, speak of a loyalty to the, the Babylonian gods. Uh, Belshazzar means Bel, uh, protect his life. Uh, Abednego, servant of Nebo. Nebo and, and Bel were two of the big, you know, popular uh, pagan gods that they served in this culture. 
If Babylon had a sports stadium and they sold the naming rights for it, they would call it Bellfield or Nebo Park. Uh, they were that into their worship of their false gods. And this was meant to be just kind of a final indoctrination. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar changed their names, he changed their identity, but ultimately he could not change their loyalty. And the great story of Daniel and his three friends is that they stood strong in their faith. They were in this world. They were dropped into just the most godless pagan culture you can imagine. Uh, there was no Christian education. There was no homeschooling. Uh, chances are their parents were gone. These guys are teenagers at this time. And Nebuchadnezzar thought, we've got them. <laughs> we've got them. We're going to school them. We're going to feed them. We're going to name them. We're going to culturize them. But they underestimated Daniel and his three friends and how loyal they were to the one true God and how willing they were to stand strong in their faith. Does any of this ring a bell today? I mean, we're living in a culture, friends, that is becoming increasingly hostile to our faith, a culture that Jesus even told his disciples about 2,000 years ago. He said, listen, the world, the world is not your friend. You want to be a friend of the world? Fine. Consider yourself an enemy of God. There's no neutral ground here. Choose where you're going to be. Choose you this day whom you will serve, Joshua said years earlier. There's no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus. So how are you going to stand strong when the culture says, nah, just compromise a little bit this way. I put one foot over here and one foot over there. I remember when I was in the business world and I was in sales and marketing and I, I always loved the regional meetings and the national sales meetings and it brought everybody together, but there was always a group of guys that after the meetings wanted to go out to the strip bars and hang out. And there were a few of us over here who were followers of Jesus, and we just said no. We, you know, you can't have one foot in and one foot out and call yourself a true follower of Jesus, right? And it probably cost us something because, you know, these were the higher-ups, you know, and we weren't willing to play in their reindeer games. And so when it came time for promotions and other things, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe they looked the other way. There's no neutral ground. Jesus says you're either in and you're all in, or you're a friend of the world and an enemy of God. Daniel and his friends stood strong. How do we stand strong in our faith in a godless culture when the pressure is on, when the heat is on? Two things I just want to wrap up with. Number one is to make a determined decision. Still ahead, the rest of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Standing Strong in a Godless Culture, right here on Something Good Radio. Somethinggoodradio.org is the place to go to hear any of Ron's messages on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. When you stop by, be sure to check out our online store for a host of great resources, including books and downloads from Dr. Ron Jones. The ministry of Something Good only exists through your prayers and financial support. So we want to say thank you for the ways in which you are standing with us. For your gift to Something Good Radio today, we'll give you the complete audio download to the series you're hearing now, Standing Strong. That's all seven messages in Ron's teaching series, Standing Strong. 
Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. And now let's get back to Ron for the second half of today's message, Standing Strong in a Godless Culture. Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Interesting that in all the five or six things that Nebuchadnezzar used to try to indoctrinate these boys, Daniel chose to say no to the diet. He couldn't control whether they were invaded, couldn't control whether the city was besieged, whether they were taken captive, couldn't really control the changing of the names, uh, couldn't, couldn't control a lot of things. A lot of things were out of his control. The one thing that was in his control was what he put in his mouth and in his stomach. And his conscience, which had been trained by the law of Moses, would not allow him to compromise here. And he made a determined decision. My translation here says, but Daniel resolved. You know what a resolution is? You know what the word resolved means? It means to make an earnest or definite decision about something. Daniel had resolved. I think he had made this resolution. He had resolved. He had purposed in his heart to be loyal to the one true God long before he ended up in Babylon. That's the time to make the resolution. That's the time to decide. That's the time when you're, when you're heading off to the sales conference, to the national sales meeting, and you know all the reindeer games that go on. The time to resolve not to defile yourself is before you go. And you make a determined decision on this end. Are you willing to, to make that determined decision? Have you resolved to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. There's no compromise. There's no neutral ground here. I'm so in and I'm so all in <laughs> that, yeah, I'm willing to let the world hate me, choose not to promote me, choose not to be my friend. Now, I love the way Daniel resolves here. He's rather polite about it. I want you to notice, he, does, he doesn't organize a protest. It says in the latter part of verse 2, therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He just asked him. (laughs) He didn't pitch a fit. He didn't organize a protest. He didn't yell and scream and, you know, demonize these people. He he was very polite about it, and I'm just impressed with this about Daniel. Later in the book of Daniel, as Daniel rises to a place of prominence in the uh, Babylonian government, you know what they say about Daniel? He had, a, he had a, an amazing spirit about him. He, he was just somebody who, who didn't rub people wrong. He was loyal to his God, but, but he didn't have this jagged edge about his personality. And people just, they, they liked Daniel. He had a good and positive attitude, and he created a good vibe in the workspace, even though everybody knew he was a a Yahweh follower, and they promoted him along the way, yeah, because God's hand of favor was upon him. 
Uh, a little bit later in chapter 1, Daniel says to the chief of the eunuchs, because the chief of the eunuchs was a little bit concerned that if Daniel and his three friends didn't eat from the king's table, they would appear weakened to the king, and that would be bad for the chief of the eunuchs. You know, he was responsible for preparing these youths and getting them ready for service in the Lord. And if they showed up kind of weak and, you know, uh, not very strong looking, and, and Daniel says, listen, I, I understand. I understand your concern there. He says, but I'm just asking. And I, I, why don't we just put this to a test, a 10-day test? You feed me my, you know, vegetables and my Hebrew diet for 10 days, and then let's compare me and my, my friends here with everybody else. And they put it to the test, and you know what happened? Daniel and his friends were stronger. They were more alert. They were more vibrant. It worked. He was polite. He was kind. He was reasonable. Again, no protesting, no demonizing, no, none of that kind of stuff, no jagged edges to his personality. And God favored Daniel. How, how do you stand strong in your faith? You've got to make a determined decision. But you don't have to be rude about it. You don't have to be ugly about it, right? Why? Because Daniel knew that God's hand of favor was upon him. Okay? Second thing you're standing strong in your faith, join a community of faith and a community of faithful friends. Verse 6 says, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know what I believe helped Daniel stand strong? He had a small group. <laughs> he had a life group. Can I just put it in those terms? He had a tribe. He had some guys to, um, to be strong with. Friends, life is not meant to be lived alone in isolation. The Christian life doesn't work in isolation. All the way back to Genesis, God looked at Adam before he created Eve and said, there's something not good. It's not good that the man is alone. You isolate yourself in the Christian life, and it's sort of like taking a, a hot ember out of a fireplace and setting it on the hearth. In time, the hot ember grows cold. That's what isolation does for you. But you put that ember back into the fireplace, and it warms up, and, you know, that, that's what biblical community is all about. Long before Acts chapter 2 and the glimpse inside the early church and biblical community and all that, Daniel had community. He had a tribe. He had some friends who were just as passionate about following the one true God as Daniel was. My question for you is this. Do you have a tribe? Do you have a small group? Are you connected in a life group? Do you have some people that uh, are, are as inspired by Jesus as you, you are? Are you running hard after Jesus with some other people? Oh, it's great to be here at a large worship service, but it's real easy to walk in here, you know, five minutes after the service starts and to, and to even beat the pastor to the door and not really be connected to a tribe. Nobody really knows you. And you go back out into that harsh, hostile world, and you don't have anybody to encourage you when the heat is on, and you get tossed into the lion's den. When they got thrown into the fiery furnace, it wasn't just Daniel that went in. It was Daniel and his three friends. When they got thrown into the lion's den, you know, they were all there. And together they celebrated the favor of God upon their hands. It's why we say over and over and over again, and why we make it hopefully abundantly easy to get connected in a life group. 
We say, tell us where you live, and we'll get con you connected to people in our church who are passionate and following Jesus, who live in your neighborhood and in your community. That's your tribe. Catherine and I have a tribe. We have a small group in our, in our Kellum High School District, and we, we've got a tribe of people that we hang with that just know us as Ron and Catherine, all right? And, and we, can, we can encourage one another and strengthen one another and help each other stand strong in our faith. You need a tribe like that, and I need a tribe like that. Don't miss that in the book of Daniel. All of these great stories, all of these powerful experiences, Daniel and his three friends went through them together. And we're always stronger together than we are apart and isolated. Standing strong in a godless culture. I love this guy, Daniel. We're going to dare to be a Daniel. We're going to learn from Daniel. We're going to be inspired by Daniel. And Lord willing, we're going to learn how to stand strong in our faith and stand stronger than we ever have. You're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Always glad to have you with us. Ron, you mentioned two key components to help believers in Christ stand strong in their faith. First, make a determined decision to stand strong. Second, surround yourself with others who feel the same way. What would you say to Christians who may have had a bad experience at their church? Maybe they left under adverse circumstances and are now having trouble trusting people enough to join a new body of believers. You know, Brian, it really breaks my heart when I hear those kinds of stories. Stories of God's people turning their back on someone after a divorce or, say, after a mistake or after a season of uh, relational tension and friction. And I want to validate those wounds. I want to validate that pain because it's real and I've seen it happen and I've experienced it myself. If you're one of the people Brian was talking about, if you've been abandoned or shunned by your brothers and sisters in Christ and you're having trouble trusting people again, let me encourage you this way. God never asks you to trust people. He asks you to love them, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. He asks us to love people. He also asks us to surround ourselves with like-minded believers in Jesus Christ. He invites us and implores us to, yes, get connected in a local body of believers where we can experience authentic biblical community. But he never says anything about putting your trust in people. He asks us to trust him. And part of trusting him is knowing that when he tells us to get involved in a local church, he already knows that sometimes you'll get hurt, sometimes things won't go well, sometimes people will let you down. But he asks us to be members of a body of believers anyway. Now, I'm not going to diminish the pain people feel when they go through something like this. In one way or another, we've all been wounded by someone we care about, myself included. But I want to make sure to be very clear that God is the only one who will never let you down. And all of us should put our trust in him and in him alone. So again, let me encourage you, make a determined decision to trust God enough to find a local church and to forge a few key relationships with like-minded believers in Jesus Christ. Yes, sometimes they may let you down. Sometimes you may let them down. But I can promise you that taking that relationship risk is far better than the alternative because the alternative is isolation. 
And that is a far worse position to be in than to join a local church. Satan preys on those who have isolated themselves because that's when all of us are most vulnerable. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts on today's message, Standing Strong in a Godless Culture. Well, Ron, as we wrap things up today, what can you tell us about the next message in your current series, Standing Strong? Well, Brian, someone once said that character is who we are when nobody is looking, and that's a pretty good definition. But the problem is, God is always looking. So I prefer Thomas Paine's definition. Reputation is what men and women think of us. Character is what God and angels know of us. In my next message, I'll talk about character from the book of Daniel, particularly what does godly character look like when we're under pressure? Because let's face it, our true character comes out when the pressure is on. Daniel faced immense pressure, and sometimes we will as well. So we'll talk about how to handle the pressures of life God's way with godly character on our next edition of Something Good. That's next time when Ron shares his message, Character Under Pressure. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.